Earners, what's up? Look, I want to give y'all a little peek behind the curtain of producing Earn Your Leisure. It's a lot more than just sitting down and chatting. It involves meticulous planning, recording, editing, and then promoting each episode to ensure it reaches all of you. And if you picked up any of our merch, then you know there's a whole extra layer of logistics from inventory management to shipping. Running a podcast is like running a small business. And speaking of business, I know many of you entrepreneurs are involved in e-commerce. You understand how crucial it is to streamline operations and cut costs wherever possible. That's why I want to talk to you about ShipStation, the multi-carrier shipping solution that integrates seamlessly with all your online sales channels. It's all about optimizing your shipping, connecting with expert partners, and freeing up more of your time to focus on scaling your business. Now let's talk about our experience with ShipStation. This tool has been a game changer for us, especially with automating routine tasks. Being able to manage everything from one dashboard and print shipping labels with just a click, absolute lifesavers. Plus, the discounts we get on shipping costs are incredible. Honestly, it feels like we're saving thousands. And as our show and merch sales have grown, ShipStation's robust automation and reporting features have helped us keep up without missing a beat. For those of you who get overwhelmed by order volumes, ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard is a dream come true. You can import orders from any sales channel, apply shipping preferences automatically, and handle customer service issues right there. Not to mention the savings with up to 89% off carrier rates like UPS, DHL Express, and USPS. It's no wonder over 130,000 companies stick with ShipStation long term. So, are you ready to turn your shipping challenges into growth opportunities? Head over to ShipStation.com and use promo code EARN for a free 60-day trial. Again, that's ShipStation.com, promo code EARN. Start streamlining your shipping and scaling your business today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Who's really protecting your money, right? The FDIC. What is that even really? Like, what is that? And then it's like, the limit is 250 there's been talks that they could potentially raise the limit higher. Um, what about the limits for investing? That's through SIPC. Mm-hmm. Is that the same? Will that be raised? Just can you just kind of make sense of the protection aspect of it from an investing and, and banking side? Yeah, and we're getting this question every single day on Investopedia, as you can imagine, because people are really worried about their money. Yeah, they're worried about their money in the market, but they're worried about their money money, right? Their bags of cash in the bank, that's supposed to be safe. So most banks are insured by what we call the FDIC, Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. This was formed after the Great Depression, after the big bank runs of the 1930s to protect investors or savers, I should say, customers. And they've raised the limit over time because we've had Mm -hmm. more money to put in the bank. And that limit is $250,000. And that is per individual. If you're married and have a joint account, $500,000. That is your money in the bank that is insured. If your bank goes out of business, you're going to get that money back within a few days once the FDIC takes over that bank, right? Now, with Silicon Valley Bank and with Signature Bank, the two banks that failed, the FDIC 
the Treasury and the Federal Reserve decided to take extraordinary measures and consider them systemically important banks, and they raised the deposit insurance to make it unlimited for all depositors. So if you had money in those banks, those banks were taken over, you're getting all of your money back one way or the other. Have they made that blanket raise for all banks? Absolutely not. Can they? Not exactly, and I'll explain why in a second, but that's the FDIC. That is its own branch of the government. It has funds, an insurance fund that it pays out people whose bank goes under that banks can been contributing to for years. I think there's over $100 billion in that account right now, but they can always yeah. take in more. So that's on the banking side. On the investing side, if you have a brokerage account, pick your broker, I don't care which, and your broker gets taken over or goes under or gets seized by a regulator, it's the SIPC that guarantees your money, $250,000 per individual, $500,000 per couple. That doesn't mean they protect you against making bad investments. That doesn't mean they protect you against taking bad advice. That doesn't mean they protect you against buying products that go under. That means they protect you if your broker goes under. So it's very yeah. important that you understand the distinction between those two agencies and what they protect. So we, we saw the collapse of some banks, right? We saw a signature, SVB. A lot of us remember 2008 um, and are getting worried, right? So can you explain the difference between what happened in 2008 and what we're seeing now with some of the regional banks? I know they had a rebound today and we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but the, the, the difference between the two scenarios in 2008 and now in 2023, what, what's happening? Yeah. So in 2007, 2008, banks were over leveraged. They had bought too many mortgage-backed securities. They assumed like a lot of people did, that the housing market in the United States was just going to keep rolling and keep going higher and higher. And they gave credit out, a lot of lenders, to people that weren't worthy of getting that credit. So when the economy hit the skids and we started to go into a recession, people were getting foreclosed on their homes. They realized that the, all these people they had loaned money to were not really of good credit, but banks had loaded up on this credit on these mortgage-backed securities, and they started to fail as people were not able to pay their mortgages. And that was a liquidity crisis where banks all of a sudden didn't have money to pay back their depositors. They didn't have money to pay lenders. They didn't have money coming in, and they weren't lending money to each other. And some of the biggest banks out there, you were talking about mistakes you made, Ian. I'm the guy who invested mm -hmm. in Lehman Brothers at 80, at 50, at 30, at 20, at 10, and finally at 2. I lost a lot of money and I don't Actually, trade can, we, that. can we give a comparison at the time? Lehman was like Goldman or like Lehman was, Lehman was a 110 year old bank yeah. that was way over leveraged and the Federal Reserve yeah. decided to just let it go. Now there's another yeah. bank called Bear Stearns that was equally as leveraged. These were multi-trillion dollar banks. Now they engineered a sale of Bear Stearns to another bank and that bank was, was that um, JP Morgan? I think BSA. Was it JP? Yeah, I think it was JP. The JP yeah. Morgan for two bucks yeah. a share. So they saved yeah. that bank. So these were the biggest banks in the world that were going under and having what we call a liquidity crisis. They could not borrow money and they were not lending money to each other. So the Federal Reserve, the Treasury and the FDIC saw what was happening with Silicon Valley Bank and whether they should have seen that months ago, we could talk about, but they saw the fact that they were not able to pay back their depositors and that mm -hmm. they deemed them, even though they're only the 16th biggest bank in the country, systemically important. If they couldn't pay anybody back and other banks wouldn't lend to them, Banks wouldn't loan to each other, and we would get into a liquidity crisis like we saw in 2008. Now, the biggest difference is that after 2008, 2009, there was a lot of tough regulations put in place. The big one's the Dodd-Frank Regulation Act that made banks have to hold a certain amount of capital reserves in case 
their creditors or their depositors came for their money. And that for the biggest banks, the 20 biggest banks has to be a certain percentage of all deposits and assets on hand. So they're in much stronger shape than they used to be, even though the Trump administration rolled back some of those laws, most of them mm -hmm. are still in place. So the reserves these banks hold are huge right now. And there's about $17.5 trillion in US banks right now. The run we had out at Silicon Valley Bank and the little one we had at Signature Bank was not that big in comparison. There was only 180 billion dollars in deposits. We're talking about a banking system that's almost 18 trillion dollars. Perhaps a good question about what do you, what are the differences that you saw between 2008 and 2023? But what similarities do you see like in the mismanagement of risk profiles from mortgage-backed securities in 2008 and like the venture capital debt bubble and banking? What parallels do you see that you see like we're making the same mistakes in a cycle? Great question. So we always say the Federal Reserve raises interest rate until something breaks. Well, something broke. That mm, was the balance yeah. sheets of a lot of banks, a lot of regional banks. Why? What do regional banks do with your money? What do banks in general do with our money? They loan it out to one another, but they keep a lot of those deposits in government-backed securities, U.S. treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Why? Those are supposedly the safest investments on planet Earth, maybe in the whole solar system, because the U.S. government, even though it has an enormous debt, usually pays off its debt little by little. So they're safe. But when the Federal Reserve raised interest rates like it did for the past 13 months aggressively, north of 5% here, um, then something breaks. And that is usually the value of those bonds. As, as those interest rates went up, yields went up, bond prices plummeted. So the value of the assets in those banks that were hold, held against deposits, when they mark to market them, and that means if they say, if we had to sell those today, what would those be worth? They were not mm -hmm. worth enough to cover the depositor. So now- the big one of the big differences is banks have to have enough reserves to be able to even if they have mark to market losses to cover their depositors that's one big thing but those rising interest rates they cause a lot of bank failures that happened way back in in the 70s with continental bank the fed reserve raised interest rates aggressively in the 80s under paul volcker the tallest uh, fed chairman out there uh, to break inflation which was 12% and guess what orange county california the whole county failed the whole county wow. went bankrupt one of the richest counties in the world went bankrupt. So you raised rates again really aggressively in the past year. We've lost two banks so far. We may lose another. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.